Ron and I uh, went on a trip last year at this time, actually, uh, yeah. to Benin, yeah. West Africa. So we, we, we were in West Africa together and we were in a room that had no air conditioning and it was hot. I mean, it had an air conditioner, <laughs> but it was working in the corner, you know, trying desperately to cool us off. But yeah, it was... Everybody was just standing in front of the air conditioner yes. whenever they could. But uh, in that very warm room, uh, amongst all these African leaders, uh, I heard uh, Ron do this seminar. Uh, or a version of it. A version of it. A version of it. Okay. And uh, I was just, I just thought to myself uh, a year ago, I thought, we need to hear this as a church. So here we are. And I am so excited that you're here. Ron, as I mentioned a couple weeks ago, if you were in church a couple weeks ago, he has been a real source of joy for me as I've thought about finances. Finances always felt overwhelming. The concept of stewardship, stewarding all of life. Um, is something that Ron continues to have a passion for, and it just leaks out of him. Like when you're talking to him, somehow stewardship will come up in the conversation. And I love it. And so I'm really excited about tonight. Um, so he's going to present um, uh, for about 40 minutes or so, something like that, 45 minutes. And then he's going to uh, have, we'll just do 15 minutes of questions or something like that. And then he's going to end um, with, a, with an, a bit of an invitation. And so um, it should be about an hour, hour 15 from now. And then, uh, and then we'll wrap up for the night. But can we pray yeah, for you? Let's do it. Yeah. yeah. Holy God, I thank you so much for tonight and for every person who has come tonight. Every person who's here is saying, yes, Lord, yes, Lord, I want to follow you. I want to get unstuck. I want freedom. I want to be generous. And so every person here tonight and every youth kid in the youth room is ready to receive um, wisdom, truth from you tonight. So I pray you would fill us, Lord Jesus, fill Ron with, with a joy and a peace as he shares. Um, I know you've blessed many in the past through this presentation. I pray that you would bless us tonight through his words. Give him lots of clarity and strength as he shares. In your name, amen. 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 Thank you, Pastor Matthew. And, th and thank you for sharing the message that you did today. It was a great segue into what we want to talk about tonight. And, and thank you for coming. I mean, this is amazing. This is great. You have sat with us through four Sundays of messages around Jesus and money. And uh, now, now you're excited. You, we started with Zacchaeus, and maybe you have had that transformation that Zacchaeus had. And you say, okay, I want, I want to do something different. I want to live differently. I want to experience that joy. I want to experience that freedom. I want to know what it is to be a generous giver, one through whom Jesus can trust me to flow through the blessings that he would put upon me and, and give to somebody else. And, and now what? I wake up tomorrow morning, I've got the same salary. I wake up tomorrow morning, and I look at my bank statement, and it hasn't changed overnight. I've got the same debts. I've got the same, how, how do I get past this? Well, tonight, I'm hoping that we can take what we've learned over the last four Sundays, and let's get practical. Let's put it into practice so that we can put ourselves in a position to respond to the call of generosity that God will put on our lives. It's one thing to, to have it 
the head knowledge, it's one thing to even have the transformation of the heart, but sometimes it just takes something else to know how to actually put it into practice. And we want to do that tonight. What I want to say tonight, even it's, it's practical, but it's biblically based. The six principles that I will share you will come out of Scripture and find practical application within our daily lives. I was sharing a similar uh, workshop in a, in a church back east, and it was so funny. This group of young adults came to me after the service and met with me up front, and they said, you know, we, we come to church every week, but, but this Sunday, you gave us something that we could put into practice tomorrow. And they thought about it. Well, our pastor usually does that, but this is even more so. <laughs> so we start with scriptures. Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount. And I'm going to try, there we go. Sometimes it, it will work for us and sometimes it won't. Pray that it will. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Won't spend a lot of time here because Pastor Matthew did a lot of uh, good work on this already for us, thinking about it. But as he said, I could take a look at each of your bank statements and I would know where your heart is. Your heart may be for your home, your heart may be for your family, and that's reflected in your spending. Your heart may be for other things, but does it really reflect the heart of God? That's the thing. We decide what is a treasure. In this world, for some reason or other, gold, silver, coins, money, we've decided that's a treasure, and our heart pursues after it. Businessman came to the pastor one day, and he says, Pastor, I love the heart you have for missions. I, I believe in missions. I think it's a good thing. Uh, I'm glad you're teaching on it. I'm glad you're sharing with us what we're doing around the world in missions. But pastor, to be honest with you, I don't have a heart for missions. And the pastor in his great wisdom said, I'll tell you what, next Sunday is Mission Sunday. You come with a check for $10,000 for missions. You'll have a heart for it. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. No one could serve two masters. Either he will hate the one, love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. You just flip that other slide for there we go. I'm fascinated by this verse. Of all the comparisons Jesus could have made, he makes this one. He, said you, he could have said, you cannot serve God and the devil, and we would have understood that because the devil is the natural adversary to God and what he's doing in this world. He could have said, you cannot serve God and self because sometimes self gets in the way of what God wants to do. But of all the comparatives he could have made, he said, you cannot serve God and money. It was like he knew that money had that potential to be the other God in our lives. That it would take the worship, that it would take the effort, that it would take the time, that it would take the energy, that it would take all of everything from us in its pursuit. 
And, and, and it's not like he said, okay, it's, it's, you maybe have a little bit of trouble or it's going to be awkward or it's going to have challenging times. He, he said, no, you can't do it. It'd be like me going down that outside aisle and that outside aisle at the same time. It can't be done. You're either serving God or you're serving money. Which then begs the question, every money decision, every financial decision is a choice between God and money. You see, we're talking about a spiritual thing here. You cannot serve God and money. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be. These are statements by Jesus that says this is a spiritual matter of the heart. And I trust that's what we have learned over the last four weeks as we've shared with you. It's about our heart. It's about our relationship with Jesus. That's why it's Jesus and money. Could have easily been Jesus or money. Because God wants all of us. I, 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 to be honest with you, I have to chuckle at people who say, yeah, the church, all it wants is your money. No, God wants all of us. Every part of us. The whole being. All of our heart. It's being devoted solely to Jesus as his apprentices. Paul picks up the theme in his instructions to Timothy. You're going to have to flip that for me. Thank you. Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant nor to put their hope in the wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, to be generous and willing to share. And in this way, they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. Paul starts off, he says, command those who are rich. Our, our automatic, immediate impulse is to pass this verse to the neighbor. Because our, our definition for rich is somebody who has more than I have. That's who's rich, not me. But did you know that if last year you only made $1,000 a month, that's all you made was $1,000 a month, you were in the top 20% of the world's wealthy. And if you somehow doubled that income and made nearly $22,000 last year, that put you in the top 10% of the world's wealthy. Command those who are rich. The other thing I want to point out in these verses is that there's a tendency for us to think that if we start following biblical principles, if we thought, start doing what God wants us to do with money, we are never going to see another good thing in our lives. We are automatically taking a vow of poverty. We started out ministry in northeastern Quebec, helping plant a church. Got there, it was the end of the highway. It wasn't the end of the world, it was just the end of the highway. And in Quebec, some of you may be familiar, about this time of year, they're filling out two income tax forms, one for the federal and one for the provincial. Probably because of the Catholic background of that province, one of the questions on the provincial income tax form was, have you taken a vow of poverty? Every year, I wanted to answer that question. No, it's just worked out that way. But following Jesus does not 
keep us from enjoying life. In fact, at the end of the verse 17, it says, put your hope in God who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. And at the end of verse 19, it says, laying up for themselves a firm foundation for the coming age so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. May I suggest to you that if we follow the biblical principles concerning finance, we will actually enjoy life more than if we don't. So, let me share with you some biblical principles for personal finances. We'll, we'll take a look at six of them. First one is the spot marked X, where we'll just take a moment and try and f- just move those slides ahead, please. Yep. Find the spot marked X, where we find out where we're at right now, where we'll set some goals, we'll create a financial plan to accomplish those goals, we'll manage our spending so that we follow our financial plan, then we'll talk a little bit about planning for retirement and doing the final touches, estate planning. So the first one, find the spot marked X. Next slide. If we go into a mall, never been there before, we don't know where the stores are located, so we look in there and we find out where the stores are located, but that really doesn't help us because we don't know where we are. You're not going to get somewhere if you don't know where you are now. So you'll never find that store, and I, and I know I'm trying to help the men out here because ladies, they just go in and they browse all the stores. But uh, <laughs> if you're trying to find that store, you need to know where you're starting. So find the spot marks X. We can do that with our finances. And so to do that, the first thing we need to do is be honest. Next slide. Do you know that more than half of Canadians are living from paycheck to paycheck? The worst thing the enemy can do is try and convince you that you're all alone in your misery. No, there's a lot of people who struggle with finances and there's no shame in admitting it. Be honest. Secondly, be open. Everything is on the table. This is particularly important for young couples and those who are married people because you can't have hidden bank accounts. You can't have hidden credit cards. And I'll go out on a limb and risk offending maybe some of you, but you can't have separate accounts. You're in this together. It's it's not a business contract. It's a marriage. Be open and honest, everything on the table. Thirdly, be thoughtful. How did you get where you're at now? If you're doing well financially, How did you get there? By the grace of God, by the gifts of God, by the goodness of God. That's how we got where we are, if we're doing well. Yes, we're diligent, as Pastor pointed out, but it's God's gifts to us. We are to be grateful. But what if we're not doing so well? How did we get there? Maybe our want list took priority over our need list. Maybe As we talk about looking at food, our eyes were bigger than our stomach. Maybe our eyes were bigger than our bank account. We'll talk more about that in a moment. And then fourthly, we need to recognize that money is an emotional topic. There's all kinds of anxieties that come to us when we start talking about money. There's all kinds of shame, and we mentioned shame earlier, frustration, all the different emotions that come with talking about money. 
Let me talk about a couple of them. One is anger. Again, this is, this is important for couples. Uh, th- that next slide, I think it shows a couple who are talking about money. That barbed wire fence down the middle. Apparently, I've done something to upset you. I'm sure they were talking about money. There's also the, the emotion of fear. It shows itself in a couple of ways, actually. Fear of not having enough. Fear that I won't be able to put food on the table tomorrow. Fear that I won't have enough for my children. Fear that uh, there just won't be enough. And what that fear does is it causes us to hang on, to hold on. Some people are so struck with this kind of fear that they end up hoarding. Never give a thing away. I've walked through houses where it was just kind of pathway between stuff. They were afraid they would never have enough. The other way that fear manifests itself is fear of not being perceived as successful. Fear of not keeping up with the Joneses, so to speak. At some point, you just have to stand out on the front step and say, Jones, I quit, you win. But we want to fear successful. We're we're afraid that our, our kids won't get all of the activities that all of the other kids are. So what we do and how that fear manifests itself is we spend. We just spend money that we don't have to buy things that we don't need to impress people who don't even like us. And we get ourselves in a hard financial situation. But the other emotion that I share with you today is hope. Because you see, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. All these things will be given to you as well. Don't worry about tomorrow. For tomorrow will worry about itself. For nothing is impossible with God. And what is impossible with man is possible with God. So let me give you one of the fundamental laws of personal economics. It's called the OO law of finance. The first O relates to everything you own. The second O relates to everything you owe. And when you take the first O and subtract from it the second O, it's your net worth. Or I've come to refer it more now as your AUM, which is assets under management. Because... They're not ours. They belong to God. And it's our privilege to manage them. Let me give you an example here. Here's an individual who has a house or condo worth 900000 Our vehicle's 30000 some rental property or vacation property of 30000 uh, They're putting something away in investments, and they're putting something away in retirement, and a little bit of cash in the, in the bank account. And so the total of what they own is 1.1 million. They look like they're doing fairly good, but let's turn the page. There's still a mortgage on that home. There's still car loans owing. There's still money owing on that vacation property. They've got a line of credit that they're dipping into. They've got credit cards. They got a loan from the mother-in-law. Remember we said we'd be open and honest here. So the total of what they owe is 520,000. So when they take what they own, the 1.1 million, and they subtract what they owe, 520,000, their net worth is 580. That's an exercise you can do yourself. 
Just take and write down all of the things that you own and then another column, all of the things that you owe and you can establish how many assets you have under management, net assets under management that God has given at your disposal. So find the spot marked X. The next principle then is to set some goals. Just move quickly through here. Goals are designed to take you from where you are today, that spot marked X, and move you to where you wanna be your preferred future. But it's not just a good idea to have a goal. They have to be what we would call SMART goals. So if you take the acronym for SMART, they should be specific, measurable, attainable, realistic, and timely. For example, I could have the goal, say, I wanna, my goal is to get out of debt. That's a good goal. We should all have that if we find ourselves in a debt situation. But it's a little vague. So if I were to say, well, my goal this year is to reduce my indebtedness by $100 a month for the year, then all of a sudden it becomes specific, measurable, attainable, realistic, and timely. And it helps me accomplish that goal. Principle number three, once we've set the goals, then we need a plan. How are we going to get there? Well, the first thing we do is we make a commitment to God. It's amazing the number of people who are able to disassociate their finances from their spiritual life. And as we've already said, it's not about the dollars and cents. It's not about the money. It's about our heart. So make a commitment to God. And then secondly, get help from informed people or reliable sources. Now, of course, these are going to be professionals. These are going to be our financial planners. These are going to be our bankers. These are going to be our accountants. These are going to be people who have trained and who are accredited in these areas. And there are good Christian people who would have similar values to you that would be able to help you with some of these plans. But don't forget, people who have implemented biblical financial principles in their lives and are living them out today. Find good mentors, especially encourage young couples to do this. Find someone that you know who has gone through life, they've gone, raised their children, they've put them through school, they've encountered all of those financial challenges, and they've come out on the other end of that, and you could ask them, how did you do that? What did you learn along the way? What's helped you make this, these good decisions? Financial mentors are extremely valuable. And then thirdly, this is going to get a little corny, but invoke the old McDonald law of economics, E-I-E-I-O. Now, before you check that out, let me tell you what I mean. The first E-I is expected income. The second E-I is expenses incurred. And when you take the expected income and subtract from it the the expenses incurred, that's our outcome. Let me again give you an example. We have an individual here who has income of six thousand dollars. He's got some interest income of five hundred, rental income of fifteen hundred, some self-employment of five hundred, and maybe it's a you know a gig he's got going on the side, or he's taken a hobby and monetized it. Total gross income is eighty-five hundred. That's the expected income. Then the expenses incurred. There's generosity, ties of $800, offerings of, or $850, offerings of $100, food and clothing, insurance and repairs, pension, t- 
tax-free savings, cars, credit, and mortgage. All of that adds up to $8,500. And so when we take the expected income, subtract the expenses incurred, the outcome is zero. Now before we jump on this person and saying, my goodness, look, he's spending everything he makes. Well, if it came out to be a surplus, that would mean that there's income that he's not tracking. And maybe that God is calling him to give more or to save more. You should be able to track every amount of money that's coming in and then track the outflow as well. You want it to end up at zero. Unfortunately, too many times I've encountered people where it's a negative. Then what do you do? What if it doesn't equal zero? Well, that's when you have to set fire to your finances. Either find income or reduce expenses. Finding income may mean taking on an extra job, may mean monetizing some hobby, may mean doing something that could help you raise a little extra income. But for the most of us, it's going to be reducing expenses. And how do we do that? Well, that's principle number four, managing our spending. Now, there's several actors within this managing our spending. There's God, there's CRA, there's our family, there's our employer, there's our creditors, there's our neighbors. Let's quickly look at each one of these. Again, our passage from Matthew 6, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. God comes first. Malachi 3.10, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that you will not have enough room for it. This is probably one of the testier subjects, no pun intended, because the word tithe is 10, and 10 was the symbol of the number for test within the Old Testament scriptures. Like how many plagues were there? 10. How many of the virgin ladies were waiting for the coming of the master? There were 10. How many disciples were there? There were 12, that was just a test. <laughs> but when it comes to tithing, people ask me, Ron, what do you think about tithing? Well, I tell you, the first thing I think about when you talk about tithing is Proverbs 3.9. Proverbs 3.9 says, honor the Lord with the first fruits. Bring your first, bring your best to honor the Lord. So whether I'm giving exactly 10% or whether I'm starting at 1% and trying to work myself up, increase my generosity, I do it because I want to honor the Lord. There's got to be something that I take every month from my paycheck and give it to God because I'm grateful, because I honor him, because I recognize that it came from him. I recognize that it all belongs to him and I want to say something tangibly that will tell him that I love him. So that's why I tithe. Believe it or not, we got ourselves into financial trouble one time. And 
my brother-in-law, who was a comptroller for the TD Bank, helped us with our finances. And he took a look at it and he says, well, first thing you got to do is get rid of that 10%. That's killing you. And I said, no way. It's the only thing that's keeping me alive. Honoring God with whatever I've got. But let me say this. Dear Saint came to me one time. He said, oh, I'm so glad you're talking about tithing. I have been faithfully giving 10% of my income to the Lord for 40 years. And my outside voice says, well, bless you for your faithfulness. But my inside voice says, my dear, has your love for Jesus not grown to 11% or 12% over 40 years? Tithing's a good place to start. It's a terrible place to stop. And we'll see in a moment that God calls us to generosity. Remember this. Pastor shared this verse. It's an excellent verse. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each one should give what he's decided in his heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. Do you notice that the opposite of cheerful giver is not a sad giver? It's a grumpy giver. It's one who has giver's remorse. May I be so bold as to suggest that if you aren't in a place yet where God or where you can give to God generously and cheerfully, maybe just hang on to it for a bit. Let it come from the abundance of the heart. God is able to make all grace abound to you so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. God is not going to let us down. Scripture says he's never seen the children of God baking bread. He looks after us. And here's our verse from our message today. Story of the widow with the two coins. Truly I tell you, this poor widow was put in more than all the others. All these people gave their gifts out of their wealth. But she, out of her poverty, put in all she had to live on. There's the little coin that Pastor was talking about. I had the privilege of going to Israel a few years ago and picked up what's called the widow's mite. After one of these presentations, somebody asked me, is that a real one? Well, according to the Ministry of Tourism of Israel, this is, yeah. It gives us an idea of what the coin was like. And she put in two of them. Do you notice in this passage that Jesus gives us a def different definition of generosity? Our tendency is to measure generosity by how much. Somebody comes to church today, put in, puts a, a check in the offering for $100,000. Those counting the offering pick themselves up off the floor and go tell the pastor. Another single parent puts in a hundred dollars nobody really notices but that hundred thousand dollar check came out of a million dollar annual income and so he's left to suffer on the remaining nine hundred thousand dollars whereas that single parent put in that hundred dollars out of a thousand a month and it's going to have to try and make ends meet for her family on the remaining nine hundred 
who was more generous. See, Jesus' definition of generosity in this verse is not how much you give, but how much you have left after you give. So God comes first. Then CRA. Letters written, Dear Revenue Canada, I'm writing to cancel my subscription. Please remove my name from your mailing list. I have a son-in-law who works for CRA and he tells me that doesn't work. But the good news is that God encourages, or the CRA encourages us to give to God through our charitable gifts. We get a refund every year, about 40% of the amount we give to the church. We're actually being given back what we've already been deducted from our earnings. And current tax laws allow us to receive tax credits up to 75% of the charitable gifts given, and states can receive tax credits up to 100% of whatever they give. And our blessing is that we are responsible citizens paying taxes. We go back to our message on render under Caesar the things that are Caesar and unto God the things that are God's. But what's our fair share? Well, that's where we need to get advice. Talk to people who know. Have an accountant or somebody wise in these areas who can help you. Because of the plans fail for lack of counsel, but with many advisors, they succeed. And then our family. Here's what I want to talk about saving. Um... Dave Ramsey, many of you have heard of Dave Ramsey. He's a financial guru from the States and uh, comes from faith-based background. And he he would say that first thing you need to do is find $1,000 and put it in emergency savings. To sell off some stuff, get a garage sale, find out what's in the crawl space, whatever, but get rid of it, create an emergency savings minimum of $1,000. And it's an emergency savings, okay? and apologize for picking on the ladies, but a new pair of shoes is not an emergency. This is for real emergencies. Others would tell you that you need to build up an emergency fund to the equivalent of three months. I can go with that, uh, but if you are a single fellow living in mom and dad's basement and don't have a lot of obligations, you probably don't need three months worth of emergency savings. But if you're a young couple, You've got your first child, just taking on your first mortgage. You've got some responsibilities that would require you to have some kind of an emergency savings. So there's emergency savings. There's replacement savings. Everybody knows that the battery on the car is going to go out someday. Everybody knows that that fridge is probably going to conk out someday. So you try and set aside some money for those kind of situations so that you don't end up immediately pulling out the plastic and covering for that replacement cost. And then, of course, there's children's education and retirement savings. And I know I'm kind of overwhelming you with a lot of savings, but this is where we want to start. The thing is to consider maybe a monthly automatic transfer for your savings, maybe into a tax-free savings account. If you automate it, and if you take it out right away, you never miss it. So you bless God with your offering and tithe to him. Then you take out some savings to pay yourself and you develop a lifestyle 
on what remains, 80% or less. And I can guarantee you, if you do that, you'll never run into financial problems. You're honoring God, you're paying yourself, and you're living within your means. So God comes first, then the tax person, then your family, then your employer. The only thing I want to say about your employer is that this is probably your biggest source of income and probably your biggest source of expense because you've got your, pen, your deductions, your CPP, EI, company pension, union dues, health plan, and then go on. They always find something, get a piece of that paycheck. But God calls us to be diligent employees. Then your creditors. The rich rule over the poor and the borrower slave to the lender. We've heard that verse. There's sometimes a big hole for us to crawl out of in terms of our indebtedness. And it, it's interesting. We, we come up with such wonderful euphemisms. I was reading an article just the other week. It was entitled, A Credit Performance Analysis. What it was was telling about how many people were reneging on their debt, couldn't pay off their credit cards. But it's called a credit performance analysis. Friends, it's debt. It's debt. The debt to income ratios for Canadians is anywhere from 164% to 256%. That means that for every dollar of income, they're spending $1.64 in debt, at least. The average Canadian carries a credit card balance last third quarter of 2023 of $4,265. Now at 22, 23% interest, never get themselves out of that hole. In another report, Canadian consumer debt has risen to 2.4 trillion, that's with a T, with an average debt load of approximately $21,000, excluding mortgages. That's just consumer debt. Canadians are using credit cards more as there was a 9% increase in the credit balances in June 23 compared to the same time the year previous. I know people are going through difficult times. I know there's financial stress, but that plastic card is not the answer. So what is? How do we get out of debt? Well, this may seem like a duh, but stop any form of borrowing. And this may include credit cards. It's proven through experimentation that people will spend more if they use their credit card than if they pay cash. There's just something psychologically different about giving away a $20 bill and getting a toonie and two quarters back on a $17.50 charge. It just hurts more when you pay cash. And if you have young people who are just starting out with their credit cards, I would urge you to have them immediately, as soon as, if they, if they want to use a credit card, okay. But as soon as they pay for it, they come home and they transfer from their savings onto that credit card. Immediately pay it. They need to feel the immediate pain of using credit. I hate the word. It's not credit, it's debt. Then follow, develop and follow a spending plan. Some people commonly refer this to a budget, but that has such painful connotations to it. 
It's a spending plan. Your money will get spent. Why don't you decide where it gets spent? Now, the categories we listed up there, not all of them apply to everybody, but these are kind of guidelines. The key here is knowing where your money's going. Track it. Monitor. If you've never tracked your finances, I would challenge you to a 14-day challenge where you take, and at the end of each day, in an Excel spreadsheet or something like that, just mark down your spending for that day. And, and don't get minutia about it. If it's $14.98, just put in $15. We're not trying to be accurate here. We just want to keep track of where it's going. There's a lot of arguments could be settled by just actually knowing where the money is being spent. Well, you're spending so much on this. Well, no, you're spending. Do we know? Track it. And I can guarantee that it, after 14 days, you may be amazed at what you're doing. Frustrated at what you're doing. Angry at what you're doing. But it will surprise you. In fact, the very practice of tracking what you're spending will cause you to spend less. Seriously. Because all of a sudden now you say, I am spending how much at Starbucks? I am spending how much on my coffee, Pastor? Confession is good for the soul. <laughs> but you'll, you'll know. And, and with that information, you will equip yourself to spend less. So, stop any form of warning, develop a spending plan. Pay off the smallest debt first. Okay, some of you who are financial wizards, you'll say, wrong, that's wrong. They should be paying off the one with the highest interest rate first. And that will work too, if you stick to it. But remember we said money is an emotional issue. I need that first win to help me keep going. So I'll pay the one that's the smallest first, and then I'll take what I was paying in on, on that and add it to the payment that I have on my second debt, and that'll accelerate what I'm repaying on that one. And when that one's paid, I'll take those two payments and add it to my third debt. It's called the snowball effect. And it quickly gets you out of debt with victories, with a sense of accomplishment, with saying, yeah, I can do this. And that's where we want to be. If you're indebted, write your creditors and explain your plan to pay. You might be surprised if you ask for a lower interest rate. They might be amenable to that. If they, you ask for a smaller monthly payment because you've got a plan and you need to focus on this one, this one, and then that one, they would rather keep you and get their money back than to lose you completely. So speak to them. You never know. Consider lifestyle adjustments. Okay. You know that sale twice a year that Bath & Body has where you get 75% off? Just stay home and get 100% off. It may mean saying no sometimes. 
and seek counsel. You may have to have someone to whom you can be accountable that will help you in this journey of getting debt free. And I can tell you, it's worth it. Because the joy, the freedom that you feel at having no debt is like none other. And then finally, learn to trust God. I think there are times when God is just waiting to hand out a blessing and we cut right in front of him with the credit card and buy it on our own. Putting ourselves into it. See, every, remember this. Every time you use that credit card, you are incurring debt. You now owe somebody. Visa, MasterCard, AmeriExpress, the Bay, whomever. And for heaven's sake, don't ever have a store company card. The interest on that is criminal. But learn to trust God. Maybe God wants to bless you. Maybe if you just wait, think about it, pray about it. Never buy something on impulse. Come back later. You may find out that it really wasn't all that important or that attractive anyway. So, then comes your neighbors. Christianity taught the world about true charity. There's a legal guy came to Jesus one day and you know, so what do I need to be saved? He said, follow the commandments. You've done that. And he says, well, love your neighbor as yourself. And he says, well, who's my neighbor? And Jesus tells him the story of the Good Samaritan. When he tells him, finished telling him the story about the three people who had, two had passed him by and one helped him out, he said, which of these three do you think was neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? And the expert in the law said, well, the one who had mercy on him. And Jesus says, go and do likewise. Because you see, it's possible to give away and become richer. It's possible to hold on too tight and lose everything. You see, the liberal man shall be made rich, and by watering others, he waters himself. And probably one of my most favorite verses of Scripture 2 Corinthians 9.10. Now he who gives seed to the sower and bread for food will, increase, will also supply and increase your store of seed and enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. Now he, it's God. God supplies us. What does he supply us with? Seed and bread. Every one of us has seed and bread. Everything we have, everything we receive can be divided into either seed or bread. Let's look at bread first. Bread is that which nourishes us. That's the one way that God meets our needs. He looks after us, puts a roof over our head, gives us food to eat, all of those things that we need to exist on. We're really good at recognizing bread. Bread is what we can spend on ourselves. But what do we do with seed? Well, you plant it. You give it away. You sow seed. And notice, 
he will also supply and increase your store of seed, it says. Doesn't talk about increasing the bread. I think the tragedy, at least in North America, is that we have taken what God meant for seed and we've consumed it on ourselves and we've wondered why there's no harvest. I am convinced, both in our personal lives and in the lives of our church, God would supply us with a lot more seed if he knew we knew what to do with it. I was sharing this verse in the Democratic Republic of Congo. I was giving the teaching in French and the gentleman beside me was translating into Lingala, their language, their native language in, uh, in the DRC. And he, my translator came to me afterwards and he said, you know, when we were talking about the seed and eating the seed and everything, he said, God showed me something. I said, what, what, what do you mean? He said, well, you don't just eat a seed. I said, what, what do you mean? He says, well, in that seed are more trees, and those trees are more fruit, and those fruit are more seeds, and those seeds are more trees. He said, before you know it, you've eaten a whole forest. I said, that's brilliant. That's absolutely brilliant. Not only do you miss the opportunity to sow a seed, to be a blessing, to be that conduit of what God has given to us, whether it be mercy or grace or money or whatever, but we miss the opportunity to see that seed multiplied and we miss the harvest. It will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. I was listening to a speaker just today and he said, does our level of generosity Reveal the gospel. I said, that's a profound question. Does the level of our generosity reveal the gospel to those who need it? He went on to say how generosity refutes any objection that people would have to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Oh, they'll throw up objections. You've got so many translations, nobody knows which one's right. There's this error and that error. And they can object to all kinds of things with, about Christianity, about the gospel. But as soon as you start talking about money, and they say, well, what did your church do with the money it gets? Well, you name them all. There's Alpha, there's this, there's that. There's all of the things. There's missions here in Langley. There's missions around the world. There's things we're involved in. They say, well, how much do you spend on yourself? Nothing. Everything goes into mission. They don't know what to say. They're dumbfounded. Generosity refutes every argument. And as I've said before, generosity is this day's evangelism. You see, God's blessing on us is for his honor, not for ours. So deep rooted principle number five, planning for retirement. People say, Ron, should I be putting into an RSP or a tax-free savings account? 
And my answer is yes. Depends where you're at. An RSP is the way, it's a tax deferred instrument. So when your income is high and you need a tax credit each year, you get an RSP or you purchase an RSP to defer that tax. And then later on, when your income is less, maybe in your retirement years, you will draw down on that RSP and maybe have to pay little or no tax on it. Tax-free savings account is probably better off for somebody with a low income. They don't need that tax break now. So take and put it right into the tax-free savings account so that later on, you'll be able to draw on it without any tax implications. So in this slide, you see, um, oh, whether I, words, it's not showing. Anyway, no, go back. That's okay. There, there's three different mile, planning milestones. There's age 55. That's usually when you can start receiving your CPP or your OAS or even a company pension. Uh, Age 65 is when most people will do it, but then there are more and more people waiting until age 71 because each of those three entities will continue to grow until age 71. The question you need to ask yourself there is, okay, if I wait till 71 rather than 65, I'm deferring that income. How long will it take me to catch up to what I've deferred? So you need to ask that question. So those are constant payouts, those three, and then there's your investments in RSPs, tax-free savings, et cetera, et cetera, that are available payout, and that will help you set your retirement goals. So first, start with RSP or TFSA. Secondly, put your money to work. Remember the story that we shared with the, uh, the 10 min minas? Minas, minas, I think in the original, there is no vowel there. It's just M-N-A. So, Get some advice. Put your money to work. There's, they say there's two biggest mistakes that people have with tax-free savings account. One is they don't have one. And secondly, they use it as a simple savings account. But within your tax-free savings account, you can invest in other instruments that would help you get a better rate of return. Okay, so that brings us to the idea about biblical investment principles. Now, I'm not going to give you the latest tip on the stock market here, but I'm going to show you from Scripture what we have learned with regard to investing. First of all, get advice. Proverbs 15:22, the counsel of many is good advice. Never invest in something you don't understand. If you need an explanation, get it. If you still don't understand, just stay away from it. People will try and get you to invest quickly and make hasty decisions. And, and if you don't understand, don't invest in it. Number three, never borrow to invest. That's presumptuous. You're presuming on tomorrow. People think, well, I'm fine as long as I can make the payments. Problem is, you're deciding that you can make the payments today. What about tomorrow? You're presuming on tomorrow. Don't make hasty decisions. Proverbs 21.5, 23.4. Ecclesiastes 11.1.2, cast your bread upon the waters, it will return to you. Invest in seven, even eight different things, it says. Diversify to minimize risk and volatility. Why are you saving? Why are you investing? 
What's the purpose? You're sure that you're doing it from godly motives, that you're saving for the future, that you're trying to be a good steward, that you want to invest in God's kingdom. But ask yourself, why are you making this investment? Is it a get-rich-quick scheme? Or do you actually have a plan that God would approve of that would help advance his kingdom? And then above all, seek God's wisdom and will. The Lord does care about. Now, other investment opportunities, there's chances to give chair, uh, shares and securities to charities. Uh, there's tax-free savings, uh, parts of that that you can talk to a counselor about. There's, there's donor-advised funds. There's different ways that you can help yourself with your investing and with your taxes, but uh, get good advice, always. Okay, next slide. In all of these, you want to take advantage of compound interest. Simply explain, compound interest is interest earning interest. And you'll notice in the example there, within the first 15 years of that savings account or that investment, the interest and the contributions are about even. But you notice that about the 20th year, the amount of that portfolio in interest is getting bigger and larger than even the contributions you're putting in. And by the end of the portfolio, you can see the blue lines are vastly superior to the actual contributions that are going in. That's compound interest. Now, when I share with uh, seniors groups, I don't talk about compound interest. It only works if you start early and start regularly. In fact, if a person starts at age 20 and puts the same amount in for 10 years and then stops, he will be better off than the person who waits till he's 30 and starts giving because of the compound interest. If you can tell anything to your young people, and if you are a young person in your 20s, you are gifted with youth. Put it to work for you. Regularly put something away that you take that curve and take advantage of compound interest. Okay, principle number six. Final touches, estate planning. While you are alive, you may find yourself in a situation where you are dependent on someone else to make decisions for you. If they are financial decisions, it's the power of attorney for property. If it's healthcare or end of life decisions, it's a healthcare advisor directive. We call it here in BC, other places call it power of attorney for healthcare. It's where you take and you complete a document, you sign it yourself, you get your signature witnessed that you give someone else that you trust, that knows you, that has the same values as you, that would speak in your place as if you were there and make a decision. Now, it doesn't necessarily have to be where you are physically or mentally incapacitated. It could be in a situation where you're out of country. 
For example, our daughter went on a missions trip, and while she was away, she needed her car insurance um, renewed. We were able to go into the insurance office with the power of attorney document and do that transaction for her because she had made up a a POA before she left. But often it is in situations where you're incapacitated. Even if it's your spouse, there are some institutions, some banks, some financial institutions that will not just take a spouse because they're the spouse. They need, you were treated as two unique, self-governing individuals. And so you need the authorization. Now you say, well, on joint accounts, that doesn't matter, that's true. But if there's anything that you might hold independently, it will need that. And even particularly in healthcare. We have great healthcare givers. We honor those who are doctors and nurses and first responders, but sometimes they are tied by the systems and the regulation that they work under. And without a document that says you have the authorization to act on this person's behalf, they may not be able to let you do that. So, healthcare advisory. Next slide. Couple's having an intimate conversation, and he says, just so you know, I never want to live in a vegetative state dependent on some machine. If that ever happens, just unplug me, okay? And she, being the dutiful wife, says, okay. (laughs) Now, that's neither the vegetative state nor the machine he was talking about but you get the idea. So that's power of attorney documents. Now about wills. Half of Canadians have never prepared a legal will. Many say, I just don't have enough to worry about. Others worry that if they write a will, they will die. (laughs) That's a real fear that some people have. Others are saying, well, wills are just for the elderly. And a lot of them say, I've got lots of time. Well, the scripture tells us, listen, you who say today, tomorrow, we'll go this, that city, we'll spend a year there, we'll carry on business, we'll make money. Well, you don't even know what will happen tomorrow. What is your life? You're a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. You need a new will or an updated will if you're 19 years of age. If you're recently married or divorced, you need it updated. If there's special family concerns, you can include that in your will. If you're a new parent, you need to update your will. If you want to add a gift to the Lord's work, you need that included in your will. Or if your wishes have changed, if the people you've named as executor aren't able to do it, if the beneficiaries aren't there, you need to update your will. There's a lot of advantages to having a legal will. It avoids family conflict at an emotional time of loss. We've seen good Christian people become neither good nor Christian when it comes to distributing an estate. Controls your wishes regarding your assets. Provides for special circumstances. Secures the future of your minor children, naming guardians and trustees. Allows you to designate some of your assets to the Lord's work. And it may even save your estate some money. I'll show you that in a minute. So if you're putting together a will, what do you need to know? Well, 
You need to know who would be the primary and secondary executor. You want to make sure you pronounce that last word properly. Those of you who got it, you can share with your neighbor later. (laughs) Normally, if it's a couple, you are primary executor, one for the other, and then you name an alternate. But if you're a single person, you might need to think of two people who could work on your behalf. And let me just say that the power of attorney documents are while you're alive, but as soon as you pass away, those documents are no longer valued, your will takes over, okay, just for clarity. How about I like my assets distributed to family, to friends? Do I want to include a charitable gift? Do I need a lawyer if it's more complicated? The next slide shows us a traditional will. So when spouse one passes away, everything goes to spouse two. Then when spouse two passes away, an estate account is created by the executor. Or if you're a single adult, you go immediately to that step when you pass away. From that estate account, Debts are paid, taxes are paid, fees are paid, and the residue of the estate is distributed in shares to family and friends. How long do you think, on average, that it takes for someone to spend their inheritance? There's a lot of things to buy. We do up what we call a charitable will. And so... Next slide, it shows everything's the same, creating that estate account, debts paid, taxes paid, legal fees paid, but then a percentage. And here, just for the example, we've said 10%, goes to a charity. Could be your home church. Could be a missions work. Out of that, your estate receives a portion back, and then the residue of the estate is distributed in shares to family and friends and the charity. In other words, your charitable gift in your estate functions the same way as your charitable giving during your lifetime. On an annual basis, you get a charitable receipt tax credit. Your estate would do the same. You say, well, why would you want to do that wrong? Well, there's a number of reasons for a charitable will. Facilitates many legacy goals like evangelism, church planting, ministry training, and James 1.27, caring for orphans, widows, and feeding the hungry. You see, a charitable will recognizes God's ownership and God's blessing. It expresses a personal philosophy of life being a good steward. It demonstrates personal values to family members left behind. It provides a sense of self-satisfaction as we live lives of generosity, and it helps to offset taxes. And God will say, well done, good and faithful servant. So we have a couple, maybe let's do two questions. We've got five minutes before we're done. Uh, the two of you who are going to ask these questions, just think, is this question good for everyone in the room? Okay? Uh, don't make it so specific. that or whatever. Yeah. Okay, well, I'm oh, sorry. Good. I don't want to limit your uh, question. Okay, here we go. One hand over here. Let's do two good questions. We'll all judge you based on how good this question is. <laughs> Thank you. Consider the lilies of the field. Even Solomon in all its glory wasn't arrayed as one of these. And we have on one hand, what, are we, what worry about tomorrow? God will take care of us today. But 
we also have a sense of future and that we have to put something away for the future. There's a tension there. How would you address that? Yeah, yeah, that's true. Do you want to answer Eric's first and then this one? The tension between the future yeah. and now. Yeah. Boy, I mean, there's, there's a million ways we can go with that. Um, the, 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 the future's not ours any more than what we have today is ours. Um, Bible does talk to us about being wise and, and it does talk about, we've talked about saving, we've talked about setting things aside. Sa- saving, saving is just future spending. That's all it is. So you want to put your, that's why I tell people, you know, if you've got a company pension plan that they will match you, go for it. You put in as much as you can and let them match it because that's free money. And you prepare so that you can put yourself in those quote unquote retirement years where you can answer a call that God may put on your life that's different than your employment right now. That's, that's why I talk about repurposing. Uh, that and the fact that my son says it can't retire, it's not in the Bible. But <laughs> you use wisdom for today to prepare yourself for tomorrow in as much as you know what God wants. Again, it's about the heart. Where's your heart? If you are dealing with the tension between the future and now. Um, do it with the heart that God gives you. Do it with an, an, an affection for Jesus. Do it with a, a desire to honor him. Do it with an, a, a desire to see his kingdom advanced. It, it comes back down to the heart and using the, I mean, the wisdom as a gift from God. Put it to work. Just the way he said, put this money to work. First of all, thank you very much for doing this. I honestly didn't want to come uh, when my wife wanted to, when she put it in the calendar. And I'm glad I listened to her because it was very informative and very eye-opening. And that's one. Second, um, can we make those slides available for download? Because I saw much of people taking pictures. Definition must be very difficult to, like very blurry and stuff. So I think that would be very uh, helpful information to be able to download it so we can actually at home with our spouse and go over that. And second, is, is there a, a government form for will that we can start with that will make it easier or? Yes, yeah, there a government will form? I, I, I don't know about that, but there are government uh, POA forms. So if you, if you just go government, BC government power of attorney and it'll take you to their website. In fact, that's, that's what I use for most people here in British Columbia because your power of attorney documents vary with every province. Uh, they, every province has different regulations with regard to that. So you need a power of attorney document that is valid for your province. So you can get right off the BC government website. Uh, there are maybe other willed forms. Um, I, have, I, I have my own one that I use, so I haven't really done a lot of research as to what other ones are out there, I'm sorry. But as far as the, the slides, Send me an email and I'll send you a PDF of the PowerPoint presentation. I have a quick note. Um, it, this evening we are recording it. Um, 
So I think we're going to try to post this evening. Um, if you're okay with that, I haven't asked you. Okay, maybe not. Okay, never mind. We'll yeah. See. Then you're like, I didn't have to come tonight. I could have watched for, it online. No. Except, except Thank for you the for offer tonight. It, except for the offer at the end. Right. It's for these the people end. here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. Okay, just email him for the PowerPoint. You can edit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We'll edit. We can edit the last part out. Anyway, um, okay, so I am sure there's a thousand questions. There's a lot going on here. It's eight o'clock. I want to honor your time. Thank you for coming. So, just a few quick things. You can email Ron, take a shot of that there. Um, he'd love to, to meet with you. Um, we have our financial course coming up in the spring. Um, we will try, I'll talk to you about trying yeah. to get this posted without that sensitive piece at the end, so you can check that out. And um, we want to end in prayer. Is that okay? Thank Good you idea. so much, Ron. Thank you. Yeah. We just, we appreciate you. And uh, yeah, let's thank him again. We've been talking about this Jesus and money thing for a while, and uh, it's kind of sad that tonight, uh, it, at least this chapter is coming to an end. I know you've got a lot of chapters remaining here, <laughs> but uh, let's, let's pray, and we'll pray for you, Ron. Holy God, we thank you that you are constantly teaching us and encouraging us, and tonight, um, all the little things that just maybe piqued our interest, things that we know we need to do, um, the way we need to sit down and think clearly and pray about all the ways in which we're spending, saving, giving. Holy Spirit, lead us. Heal us. Show us a way forward. God, I pray for Ron. I pray that you would strengthen him. God, for all the people in this room who want to follow up, to sit down, to meet with him. God, I pray that those meetings would be fruitful, that there would be freedom, that there would just be great planning for the future. And I pray for him that you would give him lots of strength in the days ahead. And Lord God, we give you our church. May we truly find a way to have a culture of generosity here. And we pray that that would be an example to the city around us, um, to those, our neighbors, our friends, and that they'd be drawn to a God of generosity. And we pray this in your name. Amen. All right. Hey, blessings to you all. Have a wonderful evening.